Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton and Chad Withrow. And we're back. Final hour of OutKick 360 on this Wednesday. I'm Chad Withrow. Jonathan Hutton is here. We've got Clay Travis coming up a little bit later. We're here. We're not leaving. Uh, Clay's coming. Some of you may want us to leave, but we're not going to. We refuse to leave. (laughs) Sixth and Peabody wants us to get out of here. We're not going to do it because nope. we're having too much fun. And we are at our downtown Nashville Sixth and Peabody studios with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer. Been a great show so far. Big thanks to Clark Lee for joining us in studio. And uh, we've talked some college football playoff rankings. There's one other facet of this in terms of bowl selection. I want to chat with you about also Hutton with uh, Ohio State and the Rose Bowl possibly this is always, with bowl games, you can expect this. The backroom politics and politicking from different ADs with different bowl directors and the networks to get the right pieces to the puzzle. It does not surprise me ever, but this is one that goes even beyond that. We'll, we'll discuss uh, why Ohio State may not be in the Rose Bowl coming up. But first, Hutton, you wrote your weekly column with the NFL Awards watch list. Yeah, and it, you know what? It's a refreshing look right now on the quarterback development and uh, momentum outside of the normal names, right? We're not debating right now Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady and regurgitating all the career stats and what it means this year. Uh, We're not seeing a single player dominate a category the way Lamar Jackson did back in 2019. He was the unanimous most valuable player. And right now, yes, Patrick Mahomes is the MVP, but... It is a wide-open sprint finish now to where they have Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, and Tua Tagovailoa have done enough to be in the conversation for the final six games to determine who's going to be league MVP. Again, right now, Chad, it's Patrick Mahomes uh, with the body of work and the moments that he's he's put up. And chances are, um, you know, he, he has the potential to actually leave us without making much of an argument for the other two compared to the other two doing that for him. But Jalen Hurts, his last handful of performances haven't been, you know, exactly perfect. He has been called upon and has delivered in the moment to deliver more wins for the Philadelphia Eagles from the quarterback spot. And um, he is, he's elevated the Eagles to the upper shelf, the upper tier of the NFL hierarchy right now. And 17 passing touchdowns, three interceptions. In the run game, he's rushed for nearly 600 yards, eight touchdowns on the ground. They, I don't think, want him to carry the football 15 times a game. But Chad, the versatility the way he does not put the football in harm's way within this offense for the most part, um, and his offensive line, he gives Philly a massive advantage because of the RPO. And 
how they could run this offense and distribute it multiple ways. Meanwhile, there's Tua, who is he's worthy of discussion. I don't think he's going to win it, though, because I don't think he has the offensive line that's going to protect him. And case in point is Sunday's game against the Houston Texans. They're up 30 to nothing at halftime. Yeah. It is time to pad your stats. And that's what Mike McDaniel was allowing Tua to do in the second half. It's 30 nothing. He was in the game for two and a half series to begin the second half. And not because it was a blowout. Not because they extended the lead to 38-30 or 37-30. It's because on six dropbacks, he was sacked three times. Gosh. And he was sacked five times total. But McDaniel benched him to protect him, to not, uh, not let Tua get hurt in what was just a stat-stuffing grab and with the attempt that we would be judging him on against the other two candidates for MVP. Um, he's, he's worthy of it. I just don't think the offensive line holds up to nearly the extent we'll see in Kansas City and in Philly. And because of that, I think it's a, it's a, it's a three-player race, but it's really down to two for me. And Jalen Hurts can absolutely win it because the Eagles, they've got the Christmas Eve game coming up against Dallas. And they've got the uh, AFC South leading Tennessee Titans at home this week. They're just coming off the national the, the national broadcast this past Monday. Chad, he's, he's playing for who is likely to be the top overall seed in the league based on record. I, I think Lamar Jackson winning the award was a good thing for the NFL. Because now the first thing I think about with Lamar Jackson is NFL MVP, yeah. Lamar Jackson. Yeah. And it's just good to have some variation in terms of who wins the award. Um, I, I, to be honest, I'm rooting for Jalen Hurts to win it because I think it's what's best for the NFL. Because Patrick Mahomes, not that Jalen well, Hurts is necessarily going anywhere with his play in Philadelphia, but Patrick Mahomes is going to win. Has he already won multiple MVPs going for a third? One. So he's won one. So he's going. So again, it's it's. Refreshing. I say that thinking that the assumption is Mahomes will win multiple MVPs, but right. that may not necessarily be the case if Jalen Hurts wins it this year. And the other refreshing part of it is, but I still feel like is, that's that would be best for the league for some reason. Yeah, I mean, Mahomes has not. He, he's won it once, 2018. Uh, he was also the uh, uh, offensive player of the year that same year. He won both awards. He was that dominant. Uh, but also refreshing is the clear cut favorite, the betting favorite. Josh Allen is a clear number four in the pecking order right now. And he's not even in the conversation. He can get back in it, but it's going to take some, some play evening out a bit on the turnover margin and the balanced attack that Philly has and the way that Mahomes just... Mahomes is the MVP right now, though. That, I, it's, I don't hate it. He's, he's been that good. But man, Hurts and, and Tua, both guys improve it years... And to produce the way they are, and Tua for missing, what, three games, two and a half games, and to still be, to me, this clear cut in the mix is remarkable for both of these guys. Yeah, I, I want the most deserving player to win it and the best player this year to yeah. win it. But I, I, there's a part of me that's rooting for some new blood uh, because I, I just I like the Jalen Hurts story in Philly. And I think more than anything, it's because there's been a lot of unexpected things around the NFL this year. We didn't expect Tom Brady's Bucks to struggle to this level. We didn't expect a you know midseason divorce to be announced. We didn't expect Aaron Rodgers to be this bad. 
and the Packers to be this bad. There's been some yeah. upsetting surprises in terms of what we thought coming into the season that we haven't seen. This has been one of those pleasant surprises that I want to see continue, and I'm, I'm rooting for Jalen Hurts to win the MVP. Chad, I'm um, going to hold back on that. Another superstar that isn't getting enough discussion for another award, if you'll allow me to try to sell you on Travis Kelsey. Uh, and this show is yours as well, well no, no, as it is no. mine. Yeah, but, Go ahead. I, I think Offensive Player of the Year, um, I, I guess the voters could put Jalen Hurts as Offensive Player of the Year and, and Mahomes could be... I mean, we've seen that. The I, flip-flop where you have yeah, a I, position player. MVP is a quarterback award. And Offensive Player of the Year, I have focused on running back wide receiver. The last two weeks, though, and this week I've got Kelsey as my Offensive Player of the Year ahead of Justin Jefferson and ahead of Tyreek Hill and ahead of Josh Jacobs, who gets an honorable mention um, after the great performance that he's had. He's just on a bad team. But here's Kelsey. I watched the Chiefs move the football like every one of us. They find points when they have to find points, when it matters every single week. Mahomes distributes that winning formula. And then when it's the clutch moments that Mahomes is producing his MVP caliber stat line, he's throwing to Travis Kelsey. There are three receivers who already have 1,000 yards receiving on the season. Travis Kelsey isn't one of them. There are plenty of top receivers who run 4-3. Travis Kelsey isn't one of those guys. He runs like 4-6, according to Google. Um, But even when Travis Kelsey doesn't dominate a stat sheet, he dominates the scoreboard. His worst two games this season are a great example. He combined for 87 total yards in performances against the Raiders and the Rams combined. But in both of those games, he scored five total touchdowns combined. And that's impacting wins and allowing Kansas City to build momentum in their division beating the Raiders on on a one-point game where the Raiders were up 17. Kelsey didn't play all that well, but he scored three touchdowns or four touchdowns in that game. And same thing with the Rams. Not a great performance by his standard, but he separates the score in the second half against a Rams team that is all but done and a Chiefs team that what they do is they win in November and December. And Chad... He's personally responsible for 72 points for the Chiefs this year, Kelsey. It's remarkable. Justin Jefferson and Tyreek Hill, who right now are the clear-cut favorites to win Offensive Player of the Year, combined have totaled 54. <laughs> Kelsey has accounted for 72. Just let that sink in. You've got the he's tight the end. the money man. Without Hill in the lineup now, he's the guy to stop. And you can't stop him. Just like you can't stop Mahomes, I'm trying to put some more respect on the guy's name because he's not mentioned uh, nearly enough as the top player of, of offensive talent. And this dude is playing at such a high level. I don't know how we, we overlook him year after year. Incredible. 72 for Kelsey, 54 combined for Tyreek Hill and Justin Jefferson. On the, yeah, just scoreboard. That so is, uh, the numbers, you know, they, they've, yeah. they're, they're on record-setting paces for the best wide receiver season we've ever seen individually. And Justin Jefferson's already going to go over the best three-year start. Uh, I think he just did with Randy Moss, right? Yeah, he's he's, now he's got six games left. left. Yeah, he's going to shatter it. But point being, though, man, this is... uh, I think... I don't know if Kelsey wins this, 
but this is this is the guy you got to stop. Yeah, it, it, he's no different than Jefferson. Jefferson's the best receiver in the league right now. Hill's been unstoppable, but the guy you have to game plan for, the guy you have to solve, is Kelsey, and he's a matchup nightmare no matter who you put on him. So you can find that stat, which is terrific, and everything else at Hutton's NFL Awards Watch uh, column at Outkick.com right now. If you're watching, you can scan to read more about it as well. More college football discussion right now, though, Hutton. So Ohio State, because the Rose Bowl has some very loose language in terms of who they have to uh, invite or who they bring to their bowl, um, the thought is the top Big Ten team that's not in the playoff in a non-playoff hosting year for the Rose Bowl will take the Big Ten team, and they'll take the top Pac-12 team. That's also not in the playoff. That may not be the case, though. Uh, Kirk Herbstreit pointed this out last night, and Kirk Herbstreit would know, the former Buckeye with who he talks to, that there is a scenario in place where both the Rose Bowl and Ohio State would choose elsewhere, that they don't want to be united again this year, even though Ohio State right now, the odds-on favorite, obviously, to be the highest-ranked non-playoff Big Ten team, because they've been there three of the last five years, they may elect to go to the Orange Bowl to play possibly Clemson or someone else. This has Tennessee fans up in arms because they want the Orange Bowl, thought that was the case, because they're ranked behind Alabama. Here's my one issue with all this, Hutton, because we know that all the whole bowl system is kind of the old, you know, lounge with the guys with the cigars drinking uh, old fashions and talking about where teams are going to go. It's orchestrated by a big system that involves the athletic director, the coach in some cases, um, the TV networks, and the the bowl itself, the venue, in terms of what they want to see. And they try to come to the best possible puzzle they can based on who selects where. The Rose Bowl needs a rule in place like the Sugar Bowl. If you're going to be tied at the hip the way we all know the Rose Bowl is to the Big Ten and the Pac-12, it needs to be some pretty clear language about you take the highest-ranked team. The Sugar Bowl, I'm pretty sure, has concrete language that they would have to take Alabama, as an example, because they're ranked ahead of Tennessee. They're the highest-ranked SEC team not in the playoffs. But they would have to take LSU – had LSU not lost, is Correct. what you're saying. Correct. They have to take the highest ranked non playoff SEC is, team. Is this also, a year ago that was Ole Miss? Okay, okay you're right. Um, because the top two teams were in the playoff. Is this right now? Is it going to be Ohio State, Utah again in the Rose Bowl? Is it a rematch? Yes. Where was Utah in the ranking? I'd, I'd have to go back and look 13, and see where they were. I yeah, think. so they would be them because you had UCLA. You, and you, Oregon you, around 14 yeah, and 15. Yeah, and Utah is 13. Now, the question would be, if Utah loses to USC, do they drop and does a, an Oregon or someone? Oregon now with three losses. And here's the ranking. So it, it would be Utah at 11. 11, okay. Washington would probably be the team. Okay. So if they dropped, it would be not so, a rematch, but it would be Ohio State-Washington. So we're looking at Penn State-Washington? Is that what the what yes. the Rose Bowl would do? If they swapped out Ohio State, it would definitely be Penn State. That would put Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. I feel like we've seen Ohio State Clemson a ton of course. already because the Just playoff. Like Alabama Clemson. So yeah. Uh, yeah. that doesn't interest me as much, but that would be the Orange Bowl. Look, the best matchup for the Orange Bowl is Tennessee and Clemson. 
It's I, a matchup we never see. I agree. And it's two programs right now that may not like each other that much. That that's the best. And you have the that's Dabo the best for the city stab. of Miami too. You know, you have the Dabo stab yeah. from uh, last week whenever. He uh, made the comments about how Tennessee's flipping burgers instead of playing the SEC championship because they lost to South Carolina. Well, then South Carolina beats Clemson, and here's Dabo Sweeney having to answer that question again. And I just made the point. I mean, you, you know, with the team we're getting ready to play, I mean, this team is the – okay, they just got to do this and do that. Then next week, they just can sit at home and, and flip burgers and watch all the championship games they're in, right? But you got to finish. It's not anything against Tennessee, man. I got all the respect in the world for Tennessee. People just hear what they want to hear. I mean, we we heard you say it. Dad. We heard it I mean, loud and clear, quite frankly. Yeah. And um, yeah, we hear we heard it because we perked up and said, "Oh, can we make this happen? Can we will this through the football gods? Where at the Orange Bowl, we could have the teams of Orange face off with Dabo saying flipping burgers after Tennessee ends up facing Clemson with really nothing to lose. I mean, you made it to the Orange Bowl. You're facing <coughs> Clemson." Uh, preseason college football playoff top four ranked team. Yeah. And I, you, I thought it was a. By the way, it was a an admirable effort in the backtracking. Oh, sure. Yeah, by uh, by Dabo. I think that was almost but said Jimbo. This is why we need. This they game. want to insult him that way by calling him Jimbo Fisher. But I thought it was a good job of, of taking it back, and he had the right, you know, demeanor in what he was saying about it. But just Hutton, you can never really win if you're a coach not trying to step in it by outwardly and publicly talking about. And claiming a team just fell asleep and didn't show up for a game. Right. And then and What's the then, one thing coaches hate more than anything? Is is the thought that their team quit or the thought that they weren't prepared for a game. And if it's another head coach at another big time program saying it, it's never going to be looked kindly upon. And that's what he was saying. It was a cautionary tale, right? I'm trying to tell my guys, right. yeah. here's Tennessee talking about we're not even going to the SEC championship. We can sit at home and flip burgers. And they forgot they had to go out there and beat South Carolina. And they lost. I'm telling my team not to do the same, but that's what Clemson did. But again, if I'm Josh Heupel in Tennessee, I don't take kindly to that when he says well, that. And that's why I want to watch this game. Yes. <laughs> Let's bring it on. We'll get Clay's take on this coming that's up. What, that's what we want. We'll ask Clay about this. We'll ask Clay about a number of uh, stories across college football. Uh, he was in Columbus this past weekend for that beatdown of, of Michigan over Ohio State. We'll talk about that and much more. Clay Travis, president of OutKick. He's up next. This is OutKick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. We're back on OutKick 360 across the OutKick network, live from our downtown Nashville studios at 6th and Peabody with Old Smoky Moonshine and Yeehaw Beer. I'm Chad Withrow. He's Jonathan Hutton. We've had a big show already, Hutton. It's been a lot of fun. It's always fun here at 6th and Peabody. And we're starting a weekly segment right now with Clay. That's going to be a blast. Yes, Clay every Travis, Wednesday. every Wednesday, 520 Eastern, is going to be joining us right here on OutKick 360. He's the founder of OutKick. He's the president of OutKick. He's a man who wears many hats and many OutKick t-shirts as well. <laughs> and Clay is on with us right now. Clay, I got to start here. I loved you posting the text exchange 
with your wife, Laura, who I, who I know well, about your Ohio State pick <laughs> over the weekend and her response uh, asking you if you remembered who you were married to at that point, and then Michigan winning the way they did. I, I take it that it was a happier Travis home after the Michigan win? Well, I was in Columbus, so we finished off the big noon uh, uh, show, which was a lot of fun. And I think sometimes you got to pinch yourself, uh, you know, when you're sitting with Urban Meyer and Matt Leiner and Brady Quinn and Reggie Bush watching the game. Um, And, uh, you know, if you're a college football fan, those are guys that certainly you have enjoyed watching and watched a lot over the years. And when you're on the sideline, you know, for I, I don't know how many millions of people ended up watching the big noon kickoff show right beforehand. But when you're worried about the band knocking you off uh, for your live hit on television. Um, but yes, <laughs> so all those things I would prefer to focus on as opposed to getting the prediction wrong about who would win. Uh, I thought Ohio State, given Blake Corm's injury, given the fact that Michigan's offense was not very good against Illinois the week before, uh, C.J. Stroud, Marvin Harrison Jr. Um, I just thought that Ohio State would outscore Michigan and ended up being the opposite. If you had told me one team was going to win 45 to 23, which I think was the final, I would have put even more money on it being Ohio State as the home team that was going to win. Uh, but uh, but I was wrong. And uh, Ohio State got whipped, particularly in the second half. I think I'm correct that Ohio State was up 20 to 17 at the first half. Yep. Scored a touchdown on that first drive, and I felt like I was going to be pretty smart about the pick. And uh, from there, things unraveled. Clay, did you have to pinch yourself uh, with the tortilla slap fight challenge you and Liner had? That was all Liner. You know, I, I I'm not that plugged in with what's popular on TikTok. Although my that was kids, hilarious. It was awesome. Yeah, my kids. Evidently, the tortilla <laughs> challenge is very popular on TikTok. So, uh, so yeah, uh, that was all Leinert's idea. We did it at the Ohio State, you know, main rec center there right by the football stadium. And I don't know, hundreds of thousands of people ended up watching that thing. So they must have enjoyed it at least a little bit. Uh, for those who don't know the tortilla challenge, I didn't know it beforehand. You have to fill your mouth up with water, um, you know, like kind of puffy cheek style. And then you take a tortilla and just slap it across the face of the other person and whoever spits out the water first loses, um, either from getting slapped in the face with the tortilla or the reaction to how ridiculous getting slapped in the face with the tortilla is. And uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I hit him pretty good. You I know. know. The tortilla went flying. The and sound then, is uh, amazing. He, yeah, he hit me pretty <laughs> solid. And uh, Does Liner still then, have it with the left? <laughs> does, he, does he still have the... The same arm strength? You've got a lot of power. I mean, that's a first-round arm. Yeah. You know, certainly my swing uh, is is uh, right arm is nowhere near a first-round arm. So uh, not even sure it's a uh, <laughs> not even sure it's a, a JV high school arm right now. Um, so uh, so yeah, it was that uh, was fun. Um, and I mean, that group in general of people, from the people who are on air at Fox to the people who are behind the scenes that nobody really sees on the television front. Uh, is a really, really good group of people. Um, and certainly small part of what has been a massive last several days for Fox when you talk about having the Cowboys and the Giants, which is, I believe, the most watched NFL game in the regular season ever. 42 million viewers for that on Thanksgiving. Uh, then you toss in, I think it was like the 19 million uh, for the U.S.-England game on Friday and then follow it up on Saturday. Uh, with that Ohio State-Michigan game. It's as big of an audience 
um, as we've ever seen anybody put together for three different sports, uh, three different uh, things back to back to back days. We actually had a watch party here yesterday at, at uh, Six and Peabody Clay for that uh, U.S. soccer match. How important was that in terms of global respect? I don't know about recognition is the right word, but just to take that that step of a win and end moment and they won the game and advanced. How big was it? I think it'll take a lot of pressure off of the U.S. men because I think if they were being honest with you, everything after advancing is uh, is gravy at this point. Um, and certainly to have to finish against Iran for all the geopolitical level uh, issues that were at play and at stake in that performance. Um, I think they'll play really well against the Netherlands. They still have only given up one goal through three games, and that was on a you know, poor giveaway, uh, Walker Zimmerman, if I'm not mistaken, uh, foul against Wales in the second half. Otherwise, they would have won that game and been in a lot better shape uh, against Iran. Uh, but I think to answer the bell like they did, like Christian Pulisic did, to get the win, to avoid uh, getting the tie or the defeat, um, I think it's huge. And also, I think it's big Good looking forward to 2026 when – it would be a huge upset if the U.S. didn't advance to the next, the knockout stage when that is taking place in North America. And a lot of our young talent, I think we're the third youngest team of the 32 that advanced to the World Cup. A lot of our young talent is kind of coming into its own at that point. This is sort of the appetizer. Uh, and you'd like to win Vance as far as you can. I believe in 2002, the U.S. went to the quarterfinals, the round of eight. They won one knockout stage game. If you could do that this this round, if you could pull off an upset over the Netherlands, that would be incredible. Uh, but just being into the knockout stage round is uh, is obviously a big deal. Blood Bank guarantee, if you're picking TCU or USC to lose, who's losing and why? They're both two-and-a-half-point favorites, so it's not as if they are massive favorites in this game. Uh, I picked them both to win and cover. If I had to pick one, I mean, I think I would pick USC uh, because they've already lost to Utah once, and their defense is not very good. Uh, so uh, I know that uh, we're, these are both rematches, and both of the first games were very competitive, but I think it would be a – uh, USC lost, I believe, 43 to 42, if I'm yep. not mistaken, in the first game against uh, Utah. Yep. They haven't really stopped anybody all year on defense. USC hasn't. So uh, in that game on Friday out in Vegas, which I believe will also be on Fox, um, th that would be the one that I would think is more likely to lose. Also, um, I think if TCU loses a close game, they're in the playoff no matter what. Uh, because uh, their 12-1 record is better than I think anybody on the outside looking in. Clay, you and I have often talked about we love sports in large part because it's a meritocracy, and it's about what yeah. happens on the field. It doesn't matter where you're from. It's about games, results, play, all of that, talent, everything. Um, I've got a problem with committees when it comes to college football playoff committee or NCAA tournament selection committee, whatever it may be, that tries to put their own thoughts on well, here's who I think is better, or here's who I think would win this game based on the circumstances or whatever. I think it should be about what you've done. I think it should be about resumes going head-to-head. -head. I think head-to-head -head matchup should matter. I think it should be all about that and not necessarily about someone being injured or about what you think would happen. Example, I think Alabama's better than Tennessee right now with Joe Milton at quarterback. I think they would win on a neutral site. 
I also think Tennessee should be ranked ahead of them based on every other metric. I know you've talked about this and tweeted about it as well. What did you think when you saw that from the playoff committee? Well, I think you're balancing all the time, most deserving and best. And sometimes they overlap. Georgia is the most deserving SEC team to make the playoff. And I think they're also the best. That's an easy call. Michigan is the most deserving Big Ten team. And based on what we saw in the regular season, also the best. TCU right now, most deserving and best. Same thing with USC. Um, Sometimes those don't overlap. And you have to analyze most deserving, which would be what happened on the field itself versus best. And I think you should um, lean towards most deserving when you have to make a choice between most deserving or best. Those are the tough calls. Because if you just care about best, then what you're really saying is, hey, Vegas, just tell us who the most talented teams are and what actually happens on the field doesn't matter. To me, the entire purpose of assessing teams' quality and performance has to be based on what they did on the field. So Tennessee should be ranked above Alabama beyond a shadow of a doubt, uh, not only because they beat Alabama head-to-head, but because they beat the team also that beat Alabama by 27 in LSU. And really, I mean, this is just about brand, right? And this is where I think the committee is failing because if Arkansas had the exact same resume and record right now as Alabama, there's a 0% chance that Arkansas would be rated above Tennessee. And it's also funny, there isn't an Alabama fan alive that if you just flipped these total resumes, that is Alabama had lost two games by double digits, but had beaten LSU and Tennessee head to head uh, and had lost to number one Georgia and had lost on the road at South Carolina, there isn't an Alabama fan alive who would be saying, well, Tennessee lost a close game to LSU and they lost a close game to Alabama. They definitely should be ranked above Alabama. I think this is a flaw of the college football playoff selection committee. I don't think it's really going to matter that much in the grand scheme of things, uh, but I do think it's a bad precedent that they're setting by having Alabama above Tennessee. Clay, let's hypothetically say Tennessee doesn't lose to South Carolina. The debate today would be, where is SC compared to where is Tennessee? And what happens on Saturday if, if, if SC beats Utah and wins the Pac-12 championship? Would they jump Tennessee? What do you think Yeah, I don't think, what do you Tennessee, think the committee Tennessee would do? Wouldn't be, Tennessee wouldn't be in the playoff if SC finishes 12-1. and one. Uh, And if, if T- TCU finishes 12-0, and 0, right, uh, right. I, I don't think they'd be in the playoff. Um, and uh, now if either of those teams lost and Tennessee was sitting there at 11 and one and the only loss all season was um, was against uh, uh, obviously Georgia. That would be tough. I actually think if Hendon Hooker had torn his ACL, <clears throat> that would also be probably Tennessee would get left out um, over that too, which would really yes. have been awful. You know, if Tennessee had been up 20 points in the South Carolina game when he tears his ACL, uh, I think they probably would factor that in. And Tennessee may well not have gotten in no matter what. Uh, they might have let Ohio State in instead of Tennessee because C.J. Stroud was healthy. That would have been a brutal end to the season. Uh, but I could see that happening as well. 
Clay, I haven't been totally shocked yet about any college coaching hire that I've seen. It's been at least a name that's been discussed with most of these jobs. Until I looked down on my phone today and on Twitter, I saw that Trent Dilfer is going to be the head coach at UAB, leaving Lipscomb Academy here in Nashville as a high school coach to go do that. And this kind of goes in with the trend. We saw it with Herm Edwards. We've seen it with Jeff Saturday this year. We saw it with Deion Sanders. What do you think about this move for UAB, and does it say anything about a possible trend to come with these football celebrity coaching hires? Well, I think it started in college basketball, right? You got a lot of like Anthony Hardaway or Jerry Stackhouse, like former guys in college basketball, uh, Jawan Howard, who got head jobs. And then they haven't been a disaster, right? Because that's ultimately what every AD is thinking. I lose my job if I go out and hire somebody and they're a disaster. So every AD is hiring not only to try to win at the school they're at now, but also for self-preservation because they're held responsible for the hires that they make. And I think what people are starting to do is the number one way to get hired if you hadn't been a head coach before was what? Be an offensive or defensive coordinator for a super successful head coach. I think there's been enough of those hires that have failed that people are looking around and saying, okay, let's kick the bushes a little bit harder. Let's consider maybe taking risks in football in a way that we haven't passed historically. And I think that's where these hires are coming in. Uh, I think Trent Dilfer, given his record in history with the elite 11 quarterbacks, and given what he's done, I I think we know pretty well, I think you guys are calling this game tomorrow, given what he's done at Lipscomb, which was not a very good program that he's built into, if not the best, certainly one of the two or three best programs in the entire state. I think Trent Dilfer is going to do pretty well at UAB. Um, And uh, ultimately, look, we live in a world where if you're good with quarterbacks, you can win at any level of football. And Dilfer's proven that he's really good with high school quarterbacks, training them, teaching them at an elite level as they get ready for college. He was the guy. I remember I went and watched. He worked out Tua. He was Tua's trainer uh, to get ready. He's done this with a lot of different NFL quarterbacks now, leaving college, going to the pro. He obviously was a, uh, a quarterback who won a Super Bowl in the NFL, even if admittedly he was on the best defense maybe in the history of the NFL, the Baltimore Ravens at the time. And now he's built from scratch, I think it's fair to say, one of the most dominant high school football programs in a state that is pretty obsessed with high school football. Um, so uh, I, I'm, I'm not surprised that somebody came after him. Uh, I thought it would happen. Um, I almost tweeted about it the other day. I was like, I'm kind of surprised nobody's trying to interview him. Uh, I don't know about the direct UAB connection, but I think that he'll be really good with quarterbacks and get a good quarterback to UAB. And if you get a decent quarterback to UAB, they can win seven or eight games. Clay, on the way out, how many deleted tweets will A.J. Brown send out after uh, they, they beat the Titans Sunday? <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I think the Titans have had a good enough record now. Uh, they're seven and four. I was at that game against the Bengals. Um, I mean, I think it's fair to say that if A.J. Brown was on the Titans and he had stayed healthy, that they would be nine and two. I mean, I, I don't think that's a crazy prediction. Maybe. I think he would have been. I'm, I'm with you. Given how close. Yeah. Given how close. Uh, I mean, there were two two catches. I, I know he made one big catch. Traylon Burks did uh, on uh, Sunday. But there were two that he could or should have made that I would expect A.J. Brown to have made. 
Um, and I think the Titans probably would have two more wins if they still had A.J. Brown on this team. So uh, I expect for him to go for 200 yards receiving and probably three touchdowns um, on uh, on Sunday. I would yeah. I would wager a, uh, a a pretty penny on him having an explosive game and uh, getting a measure of revenge uh, en route to a uh, to big performance. Clay will not be deleting any tweets though in that time. A- no. AJ Brown will. Clay, we we appreciate it, man. This is a lot of fun. Looking forward to doing this every week. Also, yeah, it's gonna be fun. Keep up the good work and. Uh, Hopefully, we keep having good stories to talk about. See y'all. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Clay Travis, president of OutKick, founder of OutKick, has been our guest. Troubling story coming out of Gainesville, Florida, with a Florida Gators quarterback. And I want to continue talking about Trent Dilfer to UAB, Hutton, and what that might say about some other possible hires or maybe a trend to come in that direction. We'll talk about that, and we'll preview tomorrow's show when we come back. This is OutKick 360. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Fun time yesterday watching Team USA beat Iran in the World Cup here at 6th and Peabody. Good crowd on hand for a little watch party, uh, rooting on America as they get it done. Um, You know who else is fired up about that win? Charles Barkley. He was on Inside the NBA last night, and Charles Barkley, world-renowned soccer fan, had this to say. We're going for the to the Netherlands. We're opening up a can of whoop-ass. I get it! Teeth, oh. in trouble. <laughs> hey, t- hey, Tyler, my man, twelve. We going, we going on. Hey, I want Spain. I, I, I want. Oh, hey, I want Spain. I want Brazil. I want Germany. I want France. Oh, they got that boy Mbappe over there, France. He ain't no <laughs> no joke. But we gonna beat the Netherlands. Such a great uh, Charles Barkley, one of the all-time great characters. But uh, I love the, how fired up he is. He should have dropped it. They got two, that two moons over there. Jack. Yeah, he's talking about Tyler Adams, the U.S. captain, when he said his guy Tyler. Um, but I, I, that's the mentality of a guy like Charles Barkley. Bring them all on now. We yes. Just, we just beat Iran, uh, who's not highly ranked, but we want Netherlands. We want Spain. We want Brazil. We want everyone. Charles Barkley also with the all-time famous quote, before the Dream Team played in 92, their first game in the Olympics was against Angola. And he was asked a press conference about Angola, and he said, I, I don't know nothing about Angola, but Angola's in trouble, was his assessment of what was about to happen. Fair. And in fact, we could probably look up the final score. Angola was indeed in trouble in, in that matchup. Um, speaking of trouble, no really good segue for this story out of Gainesville. Uh, Jalen Kitna, who is a backup quarterback at Florida, has been arrested on felony counts, multiple felony counts of child pornography. Uh, This was as of today at 3.20 p.m. Eastern Time. A team spokesperson said, We are shocked and saddened to hear the news involving Jalen Kitna. These are extremely serious charges, and the University of Florida and UAA have zero tolerance for such behavior. Jalen has been suspended indefinitely. Um, This is obviously the son of John Kitna, Longtime NFL quarterback, longtime backup quarterback in the NFL. So uh, troubling news. 
Tough first year for Billy Napier uh, overall. This yeah. is not the type of story you want to see. This has become kind of transfer portal day. I've noticed a lot of announcements about players entering the portal. You're going to see that throughout the next week, I think. This is not a story you want if you're a Billy Napier, that's for sure. No, and it's just, you know, another issue that he has to overcome behind the scenes and now publicly uh, front-facing as the, the program, right? Of yeah. Napier, I'm saying. And he's doing that coming off of a finish that was extremely lackluster and a finish that should have included eight wins. And it included losses to Vanderbilt and, and Florida State. And crazy time, quarterback position-wise, because they yeah. just cut loose a player who said the N-word while rapping to a song or doing something on a video. Yep. They took away his scholarship. Now, they also got a flip from, I want to say it's Jaden Rashada is it the is. player's name. Yes. Uh, that's in Northern California who was committed to Miami for a while is now going to be a Florida Gator. So, tough story there with Florida and, um, and uh, awful news with Jalen Kitna, the quarterback. Good news for UAB, we think. Trent Dilfer hired as their head coach, Hutton. Saw the report earlier today. We're going to call his game, his final high school game tomorrow on uh, statewide television here in the state of Tennessee. But I, I, I also see it and I think that actually makes a lot of sense. Well, it's given his connection to high school quarterbacks and elite 11, I think is as much of any thing. factor with him that's going to pay off. Uh, keep this in mind. This is not the scrap heap of Conference USA. Uh, Program-wise, I'm saying. That would be Florida International this year. UAB is 6-6. Six and six. What was the spread against LSU? 14, 14 and a half. half. Yeah, 14 and a half, 15. And you know, the, the, the reason why they had an interim head coach is due to health reasons back in June. Um, so yeah, Bill Clark won it, the conference twice right. while he was there. Yeah, and then had to step away for health reasons. The interim head coach has them bowl eligible. They're headed to the Bahamas Bowl. They're taking on Miami of Ohio. And Trent Dilfer, in year four, has a chance here in Nashville to go win a state title tomorrow across the state of Tennessee with, I think, the best one through 100, however many players on the average team, one through 80, um, roster in the state. I mean, they, they are that good in year four with a chance to win their second consecutive title. And now he's about to take over a program that has an identity, that is... It's got a nice stadium, too. We were there for USFL. Great stadium. Really good uh, venue. I don't and know what their practice and you know actual everyday facilities look like at UAB, but that stadium is oh, really I, nice. Yeah, I mean, that their daily... But that's their, that's their daily uh, facility. That so they they're practicing there yes, daily. Yeah, and I mean, that, that's, a, that's a program he can go win and win quickly. You know, it's not like um, he's got to establish the brand that he did for high school. I mean, he's going to. Right, but it's like there is a relentless effort and emotion that he pours into wherever he is, and this is a. It makes a ton of sense. You're right. It's a. It's kind of a layup. He would never say that. Yeah. But for UAB, I mean, you're getting someone who is great all in, and you've already got a program that's winning at a level that's getting you to postseason play with an interim head coach. So yeah. I mean, this is the time to do it. I am curious to see if he lands some of his Lipscomb Academy players that he's currently coaching at UAB. I'm sure at least a couple will probably follow him. Sure. That he's going to offer scholarships to. So that's another part of the story to watch. 
But this sort of trend we're seeing, Deion Sanders, he's got the opportunity, according to reports, at Colorado now if he wanted to move on. Still have no idea why Georgia Tech didn't go after him. But Deion Sanders, the, the analyst, the player turned analyst turned coach. Jeff Saturday, another example. We're seeing more and more of that right now. I, I'm going to be watching this to see if it pays off the way Dion to Jackson State has and to see if we see more of, of these things happening. Eddie George at TSU, mm-hmm. another example. Guys who kind of skipped the traditional path to being a head coach by being you know coaching position for a while, then being a coordinator, then getting a job, and going from a celebrity status as a TV personality or player into a coaching role in football. We talked about it with Clay, too. I'm, I'm fascinated to see how this works out for Trent Dilfer, but I think it's a good hire. You know, it's, it's, um, I'm curious to see who the next guy is that you're like, oh, I had no idea he wanted to be a coach. Yeah. And it's mainly because they don't want to put, and I don't blame them. Like, Jeff Saturday didn't want to be an offensive line coach. Yeah. Right? But someone maybe it's on TV right now that's popular that yeah. you don't know, but then they're going to take a head coaching job somewhere. That's a, that, we'll, or we'll, we'll find out. Or you, the Philip Rivers, like know, that 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 version of he's he could play another year. Chose to just go coach high school football in Alabama. Um, you know, we can ask about that tomorrow. Trey Wallace and Armando Salguero. Yes, they're joining our show tomorrow. We will actually be in Chattanooga calling those games on TV. We will be on air though. We'll be live from Chattanooga tomorrow. Trey Wallace will talk college football. Armando Salguero will talk some NFL. We're going to go a little bit of everywhere like we normally do. Fun show today. Crushed it. Thanks for sticking around. I think you're through the worst of the voice problem, so we're going to um, go now. We're ready to rock and roll. We'll, we'll be out of the gates. We're ready to roll tomorrow. Thanks to our fantastic crew in here every day at our 6th and Peabody studios. Getting it done. We'll be back tomorrow. Outkick 360.